And hello again, everyone. I'm John Ray on the Price and Value Journey, and I'm delighted today to welcome Mike Wilkinson with us. Uh, Mike is with Axia Value, and he's been an independent consultant since 1988, and his passion revolves around something I happen to love, value, <laughs> uh, and especially value-based selling. Mike is the price getter. I love that term. He works with sales teams and helps them discover new ways of learning and communicating value so that money isn't left on the table and that you are rewarded for the value you deliver. He works with organizations of all sizes and trains all over the world. Um, I think the only continent he hasn't been on to do sales training must be Antarctica based on the bio, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk, we'll, we'll ask Mike about that. And he's also published three best-selling books on value. Mike Wilkinson, Axia Value. Thank you so much for joining us. John, it's a pleasure. It's good to be with you. It's great. Great to have you on. Let's, let's get straight to it. Um, what is value selling? How do you describe that? I think at its simplest, value selling really is an approach that aims to quantify the value of your solution to a customer in economic terms and, and really highlighting the advantages of what you do when compared with competing alternatives. Uh, and that's that's the way I look at it. So it's simply about economically demonstrating your value to the customer for your solution. So for you, what was the what was the light bulb moment for you in your journey when you realized that this was really the way to go when it comes to sales and business development? Well, I think there there are a whole host of things that go around value selling, and I think perhaps the most important is that value selling is it has to be a collaborative effort between you and your customer. It's not something you do at the customer; it's something you do with them. Uh, and that I think was particularly important because I was going on that that sales journey and I was doing some uh, some training and it the, the light bulb really went off in uh, in a conference in Copenhagen uh, and I was uh, talking this conference with a group of about 120 uh, salespeople and the night before we were all having dinner they're all from the same company and every single person I spoke to when I asked them what it was they sold they told me they sold value. We sell fantastic value, and I was—I thought this lot have all been brainwashed. Um, <laughs> and I thought that it's just amazing. So the next day in the morning for my first session, I scrapped completely what I was going to do. This is a classic example of planning well. <laughs> Scrap what I was going to do. I said, guys, last night I was really surprised to hear everybody tell me that value was what you were delivering. So what I would like you to do for me is tell me what value is. So what I want from you is an Oxford English dictionary definition beginning with the words value is. So value is what? And there were about 10 tables. And I charged each table with coming up with a definition of value written on a card that I could then read out to everybody. And we would determine which was the best or we'd amalgamate them all together. And the interesting thing was, I think, to start with, Given that they'd all told me they sold value, and that was what they did, was the difficulty they were having in articulating just what value was. Uh, it, it was extraordinary. It took probably between 20 minutes and half an hour to get all of the cards back. And I, <laughs> I decided I'd do... <clears throat> I just take the cards and I'd read them all out one after the other um, and we'd see how it went. And that's what I started to do. And the thing that struck me straight away was that they were all different. I mean, clearly there were similarities, but they were all different. And then I got to a card, which was about fifth or sixth in this pack, and I turned it over and I looked at it and I thought, this is absolutely ridiculous. I can't read this out, but I thought, well, I better have a go. And it had four words on it. This this is 20 minutes to 30 minutes work, four words, and two of them were the ones I'd given them, which is value is. So, so I read it out, and I said, right, we've got this definition, and it is value is a mystery. Wow. All right. Oh, wow. I, I just But the more I thought about it, the more I began to realize that that is absolutely exactly what value is. 
-hmm. And our job as salespeople is to solve the value mystery. Because, um, because the reality is everybody defines value in a different way. So until we understand how the customer we are talking to defines value, to all intents and purposes, it is a mystery. So mm -hmm. our absolutely number one task is to solve that value mystery. And that is how I got into value. <laughs> so I thought I've cracked it. That's it. The job is done. Solve the value mystery. Uh, but I very quickly realized that the job was anything but done. And it was very much the start of a, a fairly complicated but enjoyable journey. So there you go. That's how I got involved. I love that um, because it it helps. You know, a lot of the folks that listen to this uh, series are real left brained and they want left brain data driven answers. Right. And, and that's not always the case with value. It can be part of it, but not always the case. Right. Well, I think for, for anybody who's sort of data driven, I, I say to the guys who come on the programs that I run is if you think about value selling as a problem solving exercise, mm. And the starting point is you have to understand the problem. You can't, you cannot wander around with a solution in search of a problem. Mm. What you need to do is to understand the problem and then tailor your solution to address it. And for the vast majority of people that I speak to, and the vast majority of salespeople particularly, that is an absolutely extraordinary transformation. <laughs> Intellectually, they buy into a recognition that they need to understand what the problem is first. But practically, they do exactly the opposite. And they lead with product-first conversations with customers. Now, related to what you just said, I want to I tie that to what you and I talked about before we came on, which is that unless we've lost them all, <laughs> All, all these, all the listeners that I have that are solo and small professional services firms, I, I'm not even sure they hit download when they saw the term selling, um, because a lot of them don't like that word, right? And as I mentioned to you, business development comes in a close second to the word they don't like. And so, what you're, what you're suggesting is forget selling, forget problem, forget um, business development. If you just think of it as value problem solving, maybe that's the way that you ought to think about this, uh, Mr. Yeah, or I, Ms. Professional Services person. I, I mean, I, I think it depends how you define selling. I mean, mm -hmm. I, even dealing with the corporate clients that I deal with, I still find a lot of people do not like to be called salespeople. Mm -hmm. I, I, don't, I don't understand it because – whether you're a small business person or you're a corporate, you stand or fail by your ability to uh, to generate leads and convert them. And that, yeah. that in my book, is selling. But that, call it whatever you want. It's about, I think, if you look at it as helping your customers make good buying decisions, that's what you're trying to help them to do. And to do that, you have to understand them. You can't help anybody to improve what they're doing if you don't understand what it is they are trying to do. So I think that it is an important thing. And I think we also talked about this difference between that, that sort of slightly more introverted and that, that extroverted approach. And, right. and I actually think introverts have an advantage. I think particularly with value selling, they have an advantage uh, because introverts tend to listen. Uh, they tend to take things that little bit more slowly. They mm -hmm. tend to be, I think, a little bit more data-driven. They are better at problem-solving, whereas uh, us extroverts <laughs> tend to go blundering in <laughs> rather <laughs> overexcitedly and just right. want to get to the end. We're just mm -hmm. desperate to get to the end. The reality often is that the introverts, it's a, the old tortoise and the hare story, isn't it? You know, mm -hmm. the extrovert screaming off into the distance, whereas the tortoise is just gently coming along behind and gets to the finish line first. That's yeah, my that theory makes, anyway. No, it makes uh it makes perfect sense. And um it and it's not just patience, but I think in general, we're making generalities here, uh folks. So uh just let's let's acknowledge that. But extroverts are a lot of them are people pleasers, right? So maybe they don't want to get to what some of the real problems are that they may think that person across the table from them 
really doesn't want to talk about. Does that make sense? I think it does make sense. And I think, I think as, as good value sellers, we have to be challenging as well. Uh, you, mm. you have to make the customer think. Uh, if, if you actually dedicate yourself to helping your customer improve their business and making good business decisions for themselves, uh, you have to challenge them and make sure that they've gone through that intellectual process themselves to get to a point where they recognize the problem, they recognize the scale of the problem and the need to address it, and then you help them to actually come up with a solution that's effective. So when I was uh, referring to data-driven, what I, I want to dive into that a little more for folks, and this gets back to value being a mystery. Um, I think a lot of people understand that that value has definable outcomes, uh, right and and that mm-hmm. that can be captured with data but value is also full of intangibles that can't really necessarily immediately be captured as value or be captured in data i mean i'm so, yeah, yeah yeah absolutely right does that make sense it, it makes perfect sense and actually really picks up on the discovery that I made after I'd discovered that value was a mystery and our job was to solve the value mystery. And that was my eureka moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't take long to realize that actually you needed something else. And, and what you need is, is a framework to think about value. Um, because it's quite difficult to to sort of put your finger on what the constituent elements of value are. Um, so we we came up with uh, with this concept called the value triad, mm-hmm. and the value triad identifies three key areas of value. And as I go through this, John, if your listeners want to think about how this applies in their business, it might well be be quite helpful from their point of view. Um, because I think there are some questions we have to ask ourselves. Uh, and let me just very quickly explain the value triad. The three elements of the value triad are revenue or performance gain, cost reduction, and emotional contribution. So those are the three component elements of value. So if we start with revenue gain or performance improvement, the question you need to ask yourself is how does what you do help your customers improve their revenue? And you should make a list of those things. You should clearly identify how you think what you do helps your customers improve their performance or improve their revenue, Um, because we need to know that in advance. Logically, the next bit, the cost reduction bit, the question is the same. How does what you do help your customer to reduce their costs? And to pick up on what you were saying, John, those two are objective they're measurable, you can put a number on them, and you should, because it's much more persuasive to say to somebody, I can help you improve your revenue by $50,000 a year and reduce your cost by whatever it might be, rather than just saying, well, we can help you improve your revenue. Because (laughs) most customers want to know by how much and by when. Uh, because that's a lot more persuasive. And anyway, anybody can make airy-fairy promises. So those are the two very tangible elements of value, revenue gain and cost reduction. The bit that you you referred to is we had a real struggle coming up with a name for this, but we finally settled on emotional contribution. I'm not ent- still not entirely sure why, but it's worked really well. Mm-hmm. And they are the, the they are the intangible things. Uh, the subjective things. They are things like trust, credibility, the quality of the relationship, the removal of risk, your brand value, their desire to want to do business with you personally rather than somebody else. And I was thinking about this only the other day, and I'm thinking about what it is that people buy. The intangible element that people buy, I think more than anything else, is peace of mind. Mm. And I really think people buy peace of mind. They don't want to buy hassle. They don't want to buy risk or difficulty or things that are hard to use. They want peace of mind. When I make a decision to buy from you, I want it to be a great decision. And I want to not have to worry about it now. Now that the decision is made, I just want it to happen. 
Yeah. So that's it. That was the value triad. Revenue gain. So how does what you do help you improve your customer's revenue? Cost reduction. How can you help them to reduce their costs? Uh, the emotional contribution. How can you just make them feel really good about doing business with you? Okay. All that sounds great. I'm a solo small professional services firm owner. Um, I've never had sales training. Um, I'm used to talking about what I do <laughs> and, uh, the, the, uh, but not necessarily digging into value. So how do I give me some tips on how I can start this journey? Right. It's interesting. You, you, you and I also spoke about the, the vast majority. I have to admit, guys, the vast majority of my client base are corporates. Um, mm-hmm. but when it comes to, so people say to me, so how can you actually relate to what those solo entrepreneurs have to do? And I say, well, well, because I'm one of those. I'm also, <laughs> I am a one man business. I have to do all of these things myself. Right. So I, I relate absolutely. And I think the thing that you said right at the outset is the heart of the problem. We're really good at talking about what we do. Mm -hmm. But actually, what we're not really good at very often is talking about what the customer wants done. Mm. And when we when I that's the starting point, you have to understand the problem before you deliver the solution. Uh, And you have to build value in in the need to have that solution delivered. And I think for many of us, that's that's the difficulty. I I think the tips that I give to people really are don't get hung up on it. Just you know, when you meet a customer for this first time, in my, all you should be thinking about is I'm going to have a chat. I'm going to sit down, even if it's not physically happening, but metaphorically, I'm going to sit down with a cup of coffee over the table from somebody, and we're going to have a chat. And what you are going to do as the SME, the small business, is you are going to show genuine interest and curiosity in understanding your potential customer's business. And you are not going to talk about you. The focus is entirely on the customer and their business because it won't have happened to them very often because most people will go in and just talk about their products. So it will be refreshing for them to have somebody to talk to where they can actually share that sort of information. And as you take them on that that conversational journey, if you like, and there is that clearly there's a structured process that you can utilize to do that because we know where we're trying to get them to. We're trying Mm -hmm. to get them to a point where they recognize that they have a problem or an issue that is big enough to need to be addressed. Because I think one of the problems with lots of businesses is that I don't know any business that doesn't have lots and lots of problems. I mean, every business has problems and issues, but the vast majority of them are simply not important enough to do anything about. You get, you just learn to live with them. You find ways of working around them. Well, you want to make sure that the problems that you can solve are the ones that your customer considers to be important enough to actually take action on. So part of our conversation when we're taking them on that journey is to get them to a point where they recognize that. And and it may not, that may not be immediate, right? I mean, we've got to be comfortable in the idea that if we're really genuinely trying to problem solve and do, uh, help that customer do what's right for that client sitting in front of us that we've had this chat with that, that may involve, uh, saying I'm not the answer for your problem today. Mm-hmm. I think that that's absolutely right. The last thing, I, it, it, it's tough, isn't it, that, that we're in a time where, frankly, any business looks reasonably attractive for a, for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's quite hard turning stuff down. But I think the starting point for all of this is to recognize that not every not every opportunity is a good opportunity for you. Um, some opportunities can cause more trouble than they're worth. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's quite key. And and again, you don't want to sell I use the word sell advisedly in this context, John. Yeah. You don't want to be selling selling things to people where you know in your heart of hearts it's not the right solution for them. 
or you've had to talk yourself into it that they, that it's the right solution. Uh, uh, and, and you're reading from right to left when it comes to, you know, the revenue to your firm, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's right. But I, I mean, I've got so many, um, sort of stories of people turning down business opportunities, but then over time, the right opportunity comes along. Mm-hmm. And it, this is about building business over the long term, I think, for most of us. We're not in the business of one-off sales. We're in the business of selling today and hopefully building on that relationship and selling more in the future. You don't do that by selling them things that don't really address the issues that they're facing. I want to talk. There's a difference, I think, Mike, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, um, because I'm often wrong, so correct me. But you know, I think there's a difference, it seems to me, between that um, prospective client who maybe didn't get referred to us with something in mind that they want, right, versus that referral that um, or however it came, however that client got to the point they're sitting in front of us where they've got something in mind on what they want. And what they want may not be what they need, but we're so anxious as services providers to get to the, uh, the sale, if, if I can still use that word, um, to get to the engagement agreement, right. That, um, maybe we short circuit the value conversation, right? Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense, and it's a big mistake. Mm. If you if you if you should well for two reasons. First of all, if you short circuit the value conversation, you've failed to take advantage of the opportunity to build value into your solution. And secondly, you are absolutely right. Just because somebody comes to you and says, "I need a," it doesn't mean that is actually what they need. They need it given their perception of the problem, but they are probably not experts in the particular area that your your people are, your your audience is. So I, whenever somebody comes to me and says, I need sales training, for example, the, the, I, the first thing I want to know is why do you think that? What is the problem that you think sales training is going to solve for you? So I think it's always very valuable to take a step back and just make sure that not only they understand what their motivation is behind thinking that this is the solution, but that we understand it as well. And when we short circuit that conversation, it seems to me what gets what gets shortchanged is the emotional side, right? Because that's really what takes the 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 longest part of the conversation to really dive in and get to i think you're right and and i I think the interesting thing about value selling and another reason why i find it a really useful way to go is that if you do not have if you fail to build a relationship with the customer they will not give you the information that you need to help to come up with the best solution for them and deliver the best value Value selling is based upon a a collaborative relationship. I think it is anyway. You know, Mm -hmm. if they won't collaborate with you, if they won't share with you the challenges and the issues that they've got, then it's going to be very hard to really uh, deliver the best possible value that we could. So how do you keep yourself from short-circuiting, I guess, uh, number one? And number two is... Um, how do you keep a, a prospective client patient when you're trying to get into the emotional responses they're going to have to the solution you're, you're potentially going to give them? Um, how, how do you, how, because they call up wanting that thing, whatever that thing is, and they kind of want to get you to that, right? Because they're in a hurry and they want to get there. So how do you keep mentally, how to keep, how do you keep yourself on task? I guess is the question. I think there are there are a variety. It's funny, actually, you should say that because frequently, you know, salespeople will say to me, "What what's the what's the one piece of advice that you give me to really mm-hmm. improve?" 
And I say, you know, over, over the years, I've, I've I've come up with all sorts of things, but I'm at, I'm now at a stage where the one piece of advice I give to sellers is slow down, mm. slow down. It is not a race. Yeah, your job is to come up with the best possible solution for your customer. Yeah, do not race to the end with your solution. Take the time to understand what it is. And there are lots. I mean, if you're not, if you don't slow down, you're not listening. If you're not listening, you're not really understanding what is going on. Uh, one of the key skills is the ability to summarize back to your customer your understanding of their situation, so that they say, so you, you know, you, you've had this conversation. So you can say to the customer at the end of it, or you should. So if I understand you correctly, John, the issues, the main issues you're facing at the moment are this and this. And the impact of failing to address them at the moment is this on the business. Have I got that right? Yeah. So we've agreed that if we could really solve that problem, there'd be some real value to you. So are you committed now to doing something about it? Because mm. the one thing I want more than anything else is commitment. Because what I don't want is to be wasting my time coming up. I mean, the other thing is send me a proposal. For people to say, well, send me a proposal. Well, what for? Right. No, no. Because very often the send me a proposal is to get rid of you or to just get a benchmark price in place. You know, it's uh, it's too easy be, to be taken down rabbit holes by by customers. So I want to get a customer to a point where they're committed to doing something. Because <laughs> otherwise I'm just wasting my time, money and effort in pursuing lost causes. None Folks, of us can afford that time. That's for sure. We we don't have time for that. Uh, Mike Wilkinson is with us, folks. His firm is Axia Value, and he's an expert on value-based selling. And, and we have to say that pricing is part of this, right? I mean, if you're if you're selling by value, or I'll give a nod to my folks that don't want like to sell. If you're talking about value. <laughs> uh you uh it's easier to price right yeah well it's easier to price it's easier to defend your prices i'm mm -hmm. sure some of the, some of the people who are listening probably operate off a price list and the problem that they have is that they are on under constant downward pricing pressure so mm -hmm. that they will go in and they'll do the do the job. They'll come up with the solution. The customer will say, well, how much is that? They'll tell them. They'll say, well, flipping heck. I'm sure you can do something about that. You must be able to shave a few, you know, a few dollars off that. Mm -hmm. And the problem is that I, most of us operate under what I call a discount default. And that is the minute we get put under any price pressure, the first thing we do is to drop our prices. And our customers know that. They, they know. I talk to procurement and buyers all the time, and I've never come across one who will not say to a supplier, you're too expensive. And the answer is not because you're too expensive. It's because, sorry about that, John. Uh, it's not because you're too expensive. It's because they just know from experience that virtually every time they say that, they get a discount. So they're not going to not tell you you're too expensive. But it takes a lot of confidence when somebody says to you, how much is that? And you say to them, well, it's $10. And they say, that's too expensive. Mm -hmm. For you to look them in the eye and say, oh, no, it isn't. If you actually look at the value that we deliver, as we've just discussed, and what it is you are going to gain as a result of our solution, I go as far as to say that probably $10 is not quite expensive enough. Now, bizarrely, uh, and I have tested this out with lots and lots of people, and there's one guy in particular, after we'd been doing this for some time, he said to me, he said, you know, I've learned something quite extraordinary. He said that you, you really do need to have real confidence in doing this. But for the first time, when customers have said to me, I'm too expensive, I've looked them in the eye and said, no, I'm not. When you think about the value that we've just discussed, that we are going to deliver for you, we are most positively not too expensive at $10. And he said in probably 80 to 90% of cases, they've nodded and said, yeah, okay. Because they were trying it on. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I said to him, I said, well, have you ever lost any business by that? He said, yes, I have. To be honest, I have lost some business. He said, but I can almost guarantee that the business that I have lost has been the lower quality business, the people who were always going to be a pain to deal with. And in 90% of those cases, within six months, they've come back to me. Mm. The ones they really wanted to come back have come back, right? Guys, guys, we underestimate our value. If you've done a really good job of understanding what it is that is valuable for your customers and you've demonstrated how you can deliver that value, then you should be rewarded for that value. But I, I speak to SMEs who too often say, well, we can't put our prices up. And I said, well, hang on a minute. Let's just take a step back. Is your solution a good solution? Yes, it is. Is it every bit as good as or if not better than your competitors? Yes, it is. And is your price therefore higher than your competitors? No, it isn't. Why isn't it? If your solution is better than your competitor's solution, why isn't your price higher than your? Well, because if we we charge more, we, we'd lose the business. Well, how do you know? Mm. And it, it comes down to confidence. And I think we communicate confidence in a variety of ways, but your body language alone will tell the customer whether they're in for a discount or not. Because for most of us, the one thing we don't want to have to talk about is price. And the minute that price comes up as a subject of discussion, our body language changes. That mm -hmm. confidence of talking about our product disappears now because we're now asked to talk about something that, frankly, is just a little distasteful. Um, and it all starts to go wrong. And we say, yeah, we have sat in meetings with people and the customer said, what's the price? And the, the sales guy has actually started by apologizing. Oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, you, you have got to be proud of your prices. If you mm -hmm. truly believe that your solution is a great solution, delivers loads of value for your customer, why on earth shouldn't you be proud of the price that you charge? Because you should be rewarded for the things that you're doing. So I, I, I mean, I my sort of strapline about the value challenge and the value challenge for me is about understanding, communicating, and delivering outstanding customer value and getting paid for it. And it's the and getting paid for it bit at the end that is so important. And I just find that when I talk to SMEs, particularly small businesses, they underestimate the value that they deliver. And you will always underestimate the value that you deliver if you fail to understand the value that your customer is looking for. Well, let's talk specifically to uh, this group here of professional services providers. They're essentially pricing what's between their ears, right? I mean, yeah. that's the, that's their factory floor. Um, yeah. They're not pricing the product. And in their case that, you know, they're working for themselves in their own business. They can't point upward to the corporate suite and say, well, it's those, it's those fools that set this price. I didn't have anything to do with it. Right. Uh, uh, they're pricing themselves essentially. And so how do you have that confidence when that conversation turns toward pricing? Um, how do you, how do you steal yourself for that point? And how do you develop that over time? I think it goes back to what we've been saying before, John. If you go in with a product-first approach where mm -hmm. you go in and you start to talk to your customer about your wonderful products and services, what you've done, you've failed to build the value that you're going to use in defending your prices. If you go in and you talk to your customer about the challenges, the issues, the opportunities that they're facing, what the value of those is to them, and the conversation is absolutely customer first, then you build a foundation upon which you can put your price. Mm -hmm. But if you fail to do that, it, it becomes that, that it's a lot more difficult. So for me, value pricing is dependent, as you said, on value selling. It's the value bit at the front that's really important. And uh, you, you said earlier that uh, I, I build myself as the price getter. And it, it's when I had my my partner before he retired, mm -hmm. um, our business had two parts to it. It had the pricing bit and the selling bit. And we always said that the, the pricing bit is the price setting bit. Mm -hmm. And my bit was the price getting bit. 
mm. because you know you set your prices but you've got to get them mm-hmm. and that yeah. was pretty much it yeah no and 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 it's all well and good to say i want to get what i'm worth quote unquote uh but you really cannot do that without some uh touchstone on how that gets measured that the client will understand that's the key point right yes absolutely right and we we all know that we don't operate in a vacuum uh, you do need to understand what the sort of general marketplace position is in terms of pricing for what you do but that does not mean Garth, it does not mean that you have to be at it you know if, if the market price is ten dollars and you're delivering more value than the majority of the ten dollar suppliers then you should be charging 11 or 12 and you can defend it by demonstrating you are delivering more value to the customer than the cheaper people are doing yet yeah, don't you that we're too easily dragged into price battles where we don't need to be and i don't don't in any way want to undermine the difficulty or uh, it isn't it isn't an easy option but to give away your hard-earned time and cash simply because we fail to understand and communicate our value effectively is is a shame i want to uh switch to a kind of a different objection that i hear and it relates to pricing and professional services providers. And I hear the objection to value pricing and by definition, extension value selling, right? Um, that I don't want to charge different prices to my clients because I'm taking advantage of them when I do that. Yeah, I've heard. I mean, I have heard this a lot, um, but actually, I I don't believe that to be the case. The whole concept behind value selling for me is to understand the value that the customer is looking for, deliver as much of that as I possibly can, and get rewarded appropriately for the value that I am delivering. And every customer is different. You know, that's the, the whole the reason value is a mystery is that what value means to each customer and indeed to the people within the customer is different for all of them. Mm. You know, so if you're dealing with the finance director or the finance VP, his perception will be different to the ops people, to the, you know, to the sales folk, to the marketing folk. They'll all have a different perspective of value. So as long as you are understanding and delivering outstanding value to them, you should be rewarded appropriately. Um, sometimes people say, well, yeah, we'd much rather operate off a straight price list because that way it's fair to everybody. It is fair to everybody, everybody except you. Um, and, and, and that is the point, you know, you want to do a great job for your customers, but you, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, a larger client in the telecoms business, and we went in and we were doing some work for them, and they they were concerned about value. And uh, when they explained to us what they did and the value that they delivered to their customers, which was absolutely huge, mm-hmm. and they were simply not getting rewarded for it at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a mindset thing. I can understand why people think it is fairer to charge everybody exactly the same thing. First of all, everybody isn't exactly the same. Their value aspirations are all different. And it's fair to everybody except you. You're the one person who is not being rewarded for the value that you're delivering. I want to ask you a third rail question. (laughs) This is one that uh, may get some folks fired up. Is it is it not? Is it unethical, I use that word deliberately, not to sell based on value? It's a very, it's a very interesting thought. I think because the nature of value selling is that it is collaborative, I think it is a much more effective way of approaching the whole sales conversation. Now, realistically, uh, depending upon the nature of your business and the nature of your clients, you won't necessarily be able to sell on value to all of them. I mean, you may have some clients who are, are totally transactional. 
They don't want a conversation. They want a bolt, a widget, or whatever it is. They just want to pick the phone up, place the order, done, finish with. They don't want a conversation about it. But there are other customers who really would value a detailed conversation with you because you are the expert in your field. Mm-hmm. And I want your help and advice to make sure that the decisions that I make are good ones. And that, uh, yeah, I think in, in that context, the value selling is it's unethical not to do it because potentially you are going to allow your customer to make business decisions which are not as good as they could have been had you made them collaboratively. Mm. That's, I love that point. Um, I want to throw in just a quick question here as we, as our time goes down, because you, you, because you deal with, with corporate clients, I, you know, our, our, uh, solo and small professional services folks don't always get this, uh, situation, but sometimes they do requests for proposals. How do you, how do you advise, uh, folks to deal with an RFP? I, it's a really interesting question. And uh, first of all, I think if I'm a small business, is it, it, the RFP coming from a customer that is, if you like, in my target area? Is mm-hmm. it somebody that I've spoken to already? If I've not ever had a conversation with them and an RFP arrives out of the blue, generally speaking, your best approach is to ignore not ignore it, but to write back and say, I would always write back and I say, look, thank you very much indeed for the opportunity for this. But right now, I don't just don't feel I understand enough about you and your business to be able to respond effectively. If if you want to have a conversation with me, I'm happy to do that. But other than that, you know, I, I respectfully decline the opportunity to respond because otherwise mm-hmm. you're just going to waste your time. You'll be used for benchmarking. They'll look at your price, compare it with the incumbent, smack them over the head a bit until they drop their price, and you've got nothing out of it at all. Uh, so that's my first bit of advice. Um, if it's a, if it's a one of those uh, requests for proposals, which is templated, if you like, and you have to do each of the steps one by one. Again, if you don't, if you know nothing more about the customer, uh, I'd, I'd I'd be very cautious. Somebody once said to me that uh, an RFP is a brilliant opportunity for your customer to demonstrate a complete lack of understanding of the potential solutions that you can provide them with that are a lot better than what they're asking for. Um, Often RFPs are sort of built by committee and Mm -hmm. uh, they reflect that. The other thing is often you'll see in an RFP, you look at it and you can see your competitors' fingerprints all over it. It's right. quite obviously written for the benefit of somebody else, and you're just being used as the as the benchmark. It's uh, I had a client some time ago, and uh, he he had huge numbers. It was a logistics business. Their business was driven by RFPs, and I said to him, I said, you know, how many of the RFPs that you get do you respond to? And he said, he looked at me as if I'd gone mad, and he said, well, all of them, obviously. And I said, goodness, that must take an incredible amount of time. He said, it does, it does. And I said, well, how many of these are you winning? What percentage do you win? He said, well, probably, I don't know. He said around 15%. Mm. So I said, so 85% of the proposals you do, which are taking you an awful lot of time to put together, you're not winning. That That's right, he said. I said, well, if we call that 85% your new 100%, what percentage of those did you know you had no chance of winning before you even began? And without even batting an eyelid, he said, oh, at least half of them. (laughs) I said, so why on earth are you responding to them? And the answer was a classic. He said, because if we don't respond to them, we definitely won't win them. Oh, That's some circular reasoning there. (laughs) It is mental reasoning. And it's mental because what it means is that for those pieces of business that you do want to win, you don't have the resources available to invest in it because you're spending so much time responding to opportunities you're never going to win. Mm. Crazy. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna have to uh, take a cold drink of water after listening to that story. Wow. Well, speaking of stories though, before we let you go, Mike, and thank you for your, um, for your time today, this has been terrific. Um, 
I'd like to give you a chance to talk about uh, you and the value that you bring. If you could share maybe a success story or two uh, that that illustrates the great value that you provide. Um, talk about yourself for just a second. You know, I think of all the things that you've asked me to talk about, I always find that's the most difficult of all. I think because over the years, I've become so obsessed with talking customer first rather than product first, mm-hmm. that I think I've trained myself to do what I try to encourage other people to do more <laughs> than anything else. I think mm-hmm. the, the biggest successes I have, I, I think, is when I when I've worked with people, and as I think I mentioned to you before, intellectually, people buy into the fact that they should be talking customer first rather than product first. But as you take them on that journey and they start to practice it and they start to see what happens when they do. And one of the biggest things that start to, that I've had people ring me up and say, I am amazed at the opportunities that have suddenly become available. And I said, yeah, but they were always there. It was just that you'd never had the conversation with the customer to discover them. And that is that is just fantastic. The telecoms business was a classic. I, I hate to bet, I hate to imagine how much more money they are making as a result of just a couple of very simple conversations that we had. Um, mm-hmm. I should definitely have been paid on on the basis of value delivered there, shouldn't I? Right. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't value price that particularly well. <laughs> Well, uh, you know what? Actually, thank you for that. That's actually a great point because we're all on a journey, right? I mean, there, there's like no, there's no formula here that we're trying, mysteriously trying to find in some urn in a cave in Peru, right? I mean, <laughs> that this is a a constant. Um, uh, you can call it battle. You can call it journey. You can call it whatever to try to get to what value is and how to price relative to that value. I think it's a journey, John, and uh, I, th- I think there is a process. I mean, I have a value sales process that that I teach in the training that I do, and it's born out of a desire to simplify the complex, not complicate the simple, so that the steps are really easy. So you, the first step of the process is to um, uh, um, quantify the opportunities, qualify the opportunities. So you the question is, where do you get your leads from? Because your business stands or falls through your ability to generate quality leads and convert them into business. You know, without that, nothing is going to happen. You know, and it doesn't matter how much we dislike talking about selling at some point or another, somebody's got to bring the business in. You know, there's maybe the dirty end of it, but that's got to be done. So qualify your opportunities. Because you only want to be working with opportunities that answer two questions for me. Number one, do we want it? In mm. other words, is it attractive to us? Can we make money out of it? Are they going to be good folk to work with? That's question one. And number two is, realistically, can we win it? So those that's all you want to know. Do we want this business and can we win it? If the answer to that is yes, now we start to invest some time and effort in winning it. And the first bit is value discovery. It is having that conversation with the customer to solve the value mystery. Mm. What are the challenges that they're facing? What's the impact of those on their business? What will be the value to them of addressing those problems? And are they now committed as you've taken them on that conversational journey to doing something about it? And the point, again, I would make is that this com- that part of the conversation is not about you, it's about them. Once they said, yeah, I can really see that there's something we should be doing about that, then you move into value demonstration. And this is the point at which you begin to explain to them how you can address the issues that you've identified. Mm. But this is a conversation. It is not a presentation. Yeah, You want to take them on a journey where they, you, you, know, you point out how you're going to address the issues they've identified, and you say to them, can you see how, the, how this works? Can you see how that happens? How do you, how would you feel if you had this in your business right now? Mm. Value demonstration. Then you move on to once they've committed to it, you, the value de- demonstration, they've said, yeah, let's do it. You've done that negotiation where you've been proud of your price. As they've come on board. Now you're into value delivery. And value delivery really, especially for new businesses, is the point at which the relationship really begins because they've never had any experience of dealing with you up to now. Now they're going to learn about what it's really like to do business with you. So Mm -hmm. value delivery is important. And then for me now, the next step, the final step is value development. 
where you develop the relationship, you make the relationship deeper, you cross-sell, you upsell, you build for the future. So that's it. So opportunity, qualify the opportunity, value discovery, value demonstration, value delivery, and value development. Five steps, simple. Relatively. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's again, it, to bring back the journey theme, it's practice, right? I mean, it's, it's, it, you, you, you keep after it and it yields results. Uh, I can absolutely guarantee, John, that the the guys who come on the programs, they they will, we, we do practices, we do role plays, we do all the things you'd expect us to do. And they then go away and I say to them, you know, meet up again in a week or so's time. And they say, yeah, we went straight back into doing what we'd always done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now that we know better, we are really working on uh, you know, changing it. It is a transformation for many of them. Just right. moving away from talking about you yourself and your products first. Yeah. Wow, Mike uh, Wilkinson, folks, Axia Value. Mike, uh, uh, I could go on, uh, but I want to be respectful of your time. And you got some folks you need to go uh, help sell better on value. Know- so. <laughs> so, in fairness, everybody, John knows exactly why I've got to go. <laughs> speaking of value, there's a lot of value coming after this show here, but, uh, uh, but, uh, we'll just leave that between you and me, Mike. But, uh, uh, but uh, before I let you go, I want to, I want to have uh, you give directions on how, uh, our listeners can find out more about you and the great work that you do. Um, I think probably the the easiest way is obviously my uh, website, which is www.axiavalue.com. I've got a whole host of stuff on YouTube, uh, lots of videos on YouTube. If anybody wants to take a look at those, that will take you through the, the whole of the process. Um, anybody wants to link in with me on LinkedIn? Again, a lot of my LinkedIn profile, I post every day something on value. Um, so yeah, there are loads of ways in which people, and if anybody wants to go completely mad and drop me a line, you can get me at MW Mike Whiskey, MW at axiavalue.com. Yeah, I'm endorsing the link LinkedIn. That's where I found you, Mike. And uh, uh, you always post great content. So thank you for that. And uh, thank yeah, well, you. we connected there, didn't we, John? And that's exactly uh, right. Early. Yeah, yeah, so that just exactly. shows you there is some, some value in it. <laughs> There's value in LinkedIn. Uh, some days I wonder, but, but in this case, there was. <laughs> I, I, and I'm I'm grateful, grateful to you, Mike, for coming on. And thank you for the great work you do. Keep it up. Well, thank you for the opportunity, John. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been fun. Thank you. And uh, folks, again, I'm John Ray, and I'm on the price and value journey, just like you are. And if you'd like to to check out our complete archive of uh, episodes in this series, go to pricevaluejourney.com, and you can find a show archive there. Um, You can also find the show on your favorite podcast app. So just search for Price Value Journey, and you'll uh, find the series there. And I'd be honored if you'd subscribe. And uh, share the show if you've heard something here. And I can't imagine you haven't gotten a lot of value out of hearing what Mike's had to say. If you've heard something here that makes sense, you think would make sense for a, a colleague, please send send it on, share the show. I'd, I'd appreciate that. And also you'll find on that at that link, pricevaluejourney.com, um, a place to sign up to get updates on the book I have coming out called The Price and Value Journey, uh, How to Raise Your Confidence, your value and your prices using the generosity mindset. So if that's something you're interested in, you can sign up there. Once again, thank you to Mike Wilkinson for from Axia Value. And I'm John Ray. Join us next time on the Price and Value Journey.